MNK Talk YA now presents Shadow Song Part 1 of the Winter Song Duet by S.J. Jones. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. This week we are starting the second book in the Winter Song Duet. It is called Shadow Song. And this week we read up to Interlude, the second interlude. Because there were Which a we realized, interludes. Yeah. <laughs> when we got to the first interlude, I was like, wow, that went fast. And it seems like we have a lot of book left to read. <laughs> And then I did the same thing. I got to the first interlude and I was like, oh crap, there's like three <laughs> interludes in this book and we didn't tell anyone which one to read up to. So we went back and edited our audio. So hopefully if you're here, you read up to the second, <laughs> the second interlude. <laughs> so does that like mean that we don't know enough about music? Like, are there usually a lot of interludes? That's a musical term, I guess right? there would be. Like, yeah, I mean, there probably would be a different term for like... The middle of the intermission, piece, right? I guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. the entr'acte. Okay. Um. Yeah. So again, I like that there's these musical terms interspersed throughout the whole book. It ties into the theme nicely. Yep. And in this book, we are above ground, which we were kind of wondering about last week. We were like, "What's going on in the world above?" And we're here. And we have. <laughs> and we've left whatever the name of the little town is with the Goblin Grove in it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're not in Bavaria anymore. We are in Vienna. Yeah. We're seeing more of the world above ground. And a lot of stuff is happening that's not super great. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you thought the underworld was bad, the above ground, upper world, what, whatever human world is not much better. People are dying. I feel like I'm just so confused by what's going on right now. And I don't know. I've told you a little bit. This has just been like a crazy week at work for me. And um, my Excel has been really slow. So I've also like in my instructions, it's been like, push this button and then wait 20 minutes. But don't touch anything on your computer, basically. So I like have been reading like a few pages here and there while my Excel tries to calculate really, really hard. But I don't know if that's like affecting it or if it's just kind of confusing right now. But I'm like, wait, what is going on right now? But I think part of it is we don't even really know, right? Like, we don't know what the result of breaking the old laws means, except that there is an imbalance and things need to be set right. But we don't really have a full answer right now for what's going on, right? We just just keep hearing that a price needs to be paid because the covenant was broken. And we're seeing, like, some consequences of it. Like, you know, people are dying with this frost on their lips and their elf touched. And then below, she sees these, like, flashbacks of Twig, who's kind of, like, decaying. And even the Goblin King is, like, becoming more and more into a monster. Mm -hmm. And and I think she's suffering as well, her and Yosef. So we're definitely seeing the effects of the covenant being broken, but we're not sure what the price that needs to be paid is. Or if there's, like, does it just mean she has to go back underground or does it mean because it kind of seems like I don't know there's just yeah a lot of questions I have a and, guess oh go ahead and are this 
Count and Countess, are they good or bad? That is an excellent question. I was wondering that too. So luckily there's a pronunciation guide in the back of this book too. I didn't even try. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Count... Prohaska. Prohaska. Uh-huh. And um, his and Maria, his wife Maria Elena. So that's the Count and the Countess who are revealed to be their benefactor, their wealthy benefactor. But yeah, I don't know what their endgame is. Are they good? Are they bad? They drug them and put them in a carriage, so that's not a great start for any relationship. And if they are good, it sort of seems like it's better if they stay near the goblin grove and they were the ones who like lured them away but then the other part of me is like or is it bad to be near the goblin grove and they do need to go hide somewhere i don't even know i know because because when they like kidnapped yosef and um Lysel, um at first i was thinking this is bad news but then they were telling them in the carriage like we are trying to save you from the hunt and it was them who said something like you are the Goblin King's own because you have gifts that were given to you from him. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have a theory. Okay, let's hear it. I feel like the price they have to pay is they have to give up their gifts. So like, Yosef will have to give up his music ability and she'll have to give up her composing ability. Interesting. You hate it. Except, <laughs> you hate well, it. No, I just, I feel like, okay, then just tell it. Like, I'm just so frustrated. I think... I also find it interesting just because she hasn't even been composing, so I still agree that, like, that's her gift and stuff, but it sort of feels so, like, at this point, I'm sort of like, would that even be a sacrifice for her? I mean, I know know it would, but I also don't really feel like it would at the moment. That's true, but but I think she's, like, I think the reason she's not composing is because every time she does, she's reminded of the Goblin King, and she says that remembering him is agony. Yeah. You know, it's like opening up old wounds again and again, and so she's avoiding it. So I sort of think this is, it's not even a fully developed theory, but you know how Joseph keeps seeing, like, his own reflection in the Goblin King, and I feel like Liesel has seen some relation between the two of them at some point, too, and I know, obviously, he's, like, a changeling and all this stuff, but what if he becomes the next Goblin King. Ooh. Oh, that'd be awful. But I don't really know how that would, like, that's not really a fully developed theory. That's just like a, I feel like there's a weird connection there. That's interesting. Um, Not a bad idea. Because we know there, it seems like there have been multiple Goblin Kings, right? Because of the portrait wall and even just hearing the story of how our current Goblin King without a name, you know, used to be a person and it seems like was kind of tricked by the last Goblin King. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So yeah, maybe that will be the, maybe that will be the price that they have to pay. Like the, the changeling will have to go back home essentially. Like they'll take him back. But the other part of me is like, I don't, what does that even have to do with Liesl? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Well, okay. The other thing is I was thinking, it seems like Maria Elena, the, the green-eyed woman, I feel mm-hmm. like she knows, she seems to know an awful lot about the Goblin King. And mm-hmm. I think it was Lysel who was like, do you know him? And mm-hmm. she doesn't say anything, but I suspect she does. Mm-hmm. What if she was his first wife who walked away? Wasn't that like a bajillion years ago, though? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but that's, I, I actually, I like that theory. Because she could secretly be a bajillion years old. Maybe she doesn't age anymore or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That would be interesting. Okay, here's my problem with them right now. Okay. They were like, sorry, we drugged you and kidnapped you because it was too complicated to explain what was going on. Ugh. But they've like been living in town for a month and they never bothered to go say hi. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a little fishy. But maybe they wanted them at the party for some reason. This, yeah, there like, seems to be something with these poppies and the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all wearing them in their, like, lapels. 
Mm-hmm. The party was kind of cool. It really, it reminded me a little bit of Eyes Wide Shut because it was just, they kept talking about how he has these like debaucherous parties where they perform these secret rites and everyone was dressed up in masks. It, I don't know. It just kind of made me laugh. I don't know what the reference is. Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, you've never seen Eyes Wide Shut with Nicole? <laughs> okay, never mind. Oh, you I should watch it. It's a okay. great movie. But there's this like anything. creepy ball scene. I mean, I don't know if you'll like it to be perfectly honest. <laughs> But as soon as I read the scene, I was like, oh, they're like, you know, going to the Eyes Wide Shut party. I think that would be the scene I would want to see in this book so far would be something with the ball. Mostly, I really want to see the costumes. Oh, me too. And I love that um, we see Cat, Katie. Cat, oh, yeah. Kath, I, Katie, I still call her Cat her in my mind when I read it. <laughs> we get to see her, like, demonstrating that she has a gift too. Like, she's so creative with how she creates the costumes and her sewing skills and I love that because her sister finally recognizes that she is gifted as well and shares the creativity that previously we only thought Yosef and Lysel had. And it was just really nice to see her achieve something and have it be recognized as something special and not something like frivolous. Well, I agree, except then she's still, she's not one of the Darkling's own, or not Darkling, Dur Elkron, <laughs> Elkron, whatever. She's not the Goblin King's own and she's not like part of this kidnapping thing and apparently there's like a huge tie between artistic ability like I kind of wonder if she still has it but no one has actually recognized that it's a gift instead of just like like I feel like she's almost been discounted too much so far still yeah that's true I wonder if she shares the same um because you know how Costanza in the beginning says that like mania and melancholy run in their blood Mm -hmm. so it does seem like um Katie is kind of apart from that Mm-hmm. Whereas you see Joseph and Lysol very much kind of having those moments where they feel like they're losing their mind. Yeah. Which, I mean, the, they always say, like, the fine line, there's a fine line between genius and madness, right? And a lot of people who are, who suffer from some kind of type of mania are usually, like, very creative as well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And yet, this book definitely seems to be exploring that, so... Yeah, well, I was reading a little bit about the author, and she mentioned that she wanted to have Lysol be um, bipolar, Mm -hmm. because that was important to her, and she wanted to kind of explore the idea of um, sanity versus insanity, and kind of the crossover between those two, and she said part of that was because she wanted to create a character who wasn't who was not easy to love, but who still deserved love. Mm-hmm. And she said that Lysel's struggle to kind of have her music valued. Um, she did that purposely because she felt the same way when she was trying to, you know, develop her voice as a writer and feel like her writing was being valued. Um, she, she wanted to create like a mirror between uh, those two art forms, which I thought was kind of interesting that she put a lot of herself into the character of Liza. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I even like, I mean, she touched on it a little bit in the author's note at the beginning where she was kind of also giving like, you know, a triggering warning. But Mm -hmm. I do like that she shared about kind of how personal this character and the story is to her. And I also like how she kind of plays with that word madness and like Mm -hmm. acknowledges the, you know, kind of dark side of it a little bit too you know that it is kind of ugly she said and messy and painful and reckless Mm -hmm. and all this stuff but also you know that it's sort of anything that's different from the norm is considered madness and like I just I kind of love this idea of there's more to it than kind of just dismissing someone because of it right or just writing it off as madness or insanity and kind of developing more about like well what does that mean is it just different from how other people are 
mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily a, a wrong way to be or, mm-hmm. e- or even like, you know, saying that you have something wrong with you. Yep. Yeah, I like that too. Although it is really hard to see um, Yosef struggling with that because like I was, okay, so I was curious. So we know that Master Antonius is dead. Mm-hmm. And Francois found Yosef standing over his body. And at first I thought, okay, he he killed him because we have found out that and Master Antonius was essentially abusing both of them. Mm-hmm. But then when they take refuge in that brothel and he finds him again standing over the body of one of the girls, that's when I got confused because I was like, I don't know, it, it felt different to have him killing Master Antonius who he had this, um, you know, really tragic history with and there was probably a lot of anger in that relationship whereas there was just an innocent girl and if he killed both of them I just I wasn't sure if they were hinting that he killed the girl as well I also so I thought that the because wasn't the last person to talk to um master Antonius whatever his name is I can't remember anyone's name in this book um (laughs) wasn't it someone with green eyes too yeah wasn't it I thought it was Maria Elena yeah I thought it was too and then I was and I also feel like sh- there's been green eyes mentioned because people have been dying. He died with the weird elf kiss thing, right? Yeah. And so do we think been- Maria Lane is killing him? Killing I don't him? know. Or maybe it's like a whole this whole group of poppy wearing oh whatever people. Maybe she drugs people with her poppies and then they and then they kill other people. I don't really know, but I <laughs> I didn't necessarily think it was um, Joseph. I didn't necessarily like I I could see I. I could see that it was him, but I also felt like maybe there was, it was more complicated than that. I don't know. But I don't know why that random girl died. I agree. Because I thought maybe they were speaking at, like, that showed kind of his descent into madness. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you would you would assume he would be somewhat justified in killing his abuser, but not an innocent girl. So yeah. I didn't know if she was trying to hint that, like, he had descended fully into um you know madness or just transform was transforming more into a monster i think it is it also is interesting i mean i guess we saw a little bit from his point of view at one point earlier in the story but for the most part we're seeing everything from liesel's liesel's point of view and i feel like it's kind of cool to see both of them deal with madness one from like the internal dialogue you know, like her recognizing or seeing or reacting to things and kind of understanding that, you know, there's something going on and the other, her like observing it and not knowing and feeling so distant from her brother and just like recognizing that something's off. Like, I think that's kind of an interesting, they're both kind of on these similar paths, but we get a very different view into what that means, you know? Yeah. As far as madness goes. I don't and know. we also see it like affecting their relationship a lot, like in the scene when they are playing privately for the Count and the Countess and she is like feeling like he's not present in the music mm-hmm. and he's playing kind of at her and not mm-hmm. with her. And she's like trying to call him back and kind of get back to that place where they felt so close before. But now you see like there's a huge divide between them now. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it's it's kind of, it's really sad to see because they were so close in the beginning, but now it seems like there's a lot of resentment from him, mm-hmm. like whenever they were playing and, and he said to her, like, this is what you wanted, why are you complaining or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or even their encounter, you know, late at night in the house Oh, when yeah. he said, like, do you want to do this now, basically? Like, do you want to have this conversation? And she kind of backed away from it. And I was like, I want you guys to have this I, conversation. I know. 
I was like, please, like, let's get to the heart of it. Why are we so angry? And yeah, let's, fi- let's sit down as a family meeting, figure this out. <laughs> yeah, instead of just being upset that other pe- that your sister is listening in, why don't you invite her to join you? Because she's one be of the there. three of you. Yeah, Francois should hear it too. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I hope we see that maybe in the second half. Well, I mean, based on how the first book went, so much could change in the second half. I, I also, like, I am curious to see if and how she goes back to the underworld and helps the Goblin King. Like, again, I just, I really want to know what's at stake and what, how we fix it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Because we also see him, the Goblin King, like, at the end, he was, it was almost like um, he was split in two. Like, there was his human self and his monster self. And he, and he, isn't that, doesn't he tell her, you know, if if you can call me by my name, that's yep. <laughs> that's not the Oscars movie. <laughs> it, doesn't he say that if you can call me by my name, you can be you can save me? But she doesn't know his name. Yeah, because and he so, wouldn't tell it to her before. I know, and so I was just like, dude, if you knew this was gonna happen, why didn't you give her the tools that she needed to help you? But yeah, but it almost seems like his human self is like trapped in the monster, but they're the same person, but they're like, it is because his eyes, it's still the eye thing, right? Even when he was underground, it was sort of like the more his eyes were the blue and green, the more he was, what does she call him? My austere young man or whatever. Oh, yeah. And like, they've been more and more of this like white or gray, like absent of color. And it's only when it it does kind of spark blue or spark green that he like seems to be the one who cared for her versus truly the master of mischief and whatever else they call him (laughs) yeah because he has that moment where he regains control of that half and he tells her to flee he's like get away from here so i think that part is of him is trying to help her but i i just don't know like which one's gonna win out like is the monster side gonna win out is the human side gonna win out yep and again and this happens in a lot of books we read we have half a book left we've read (laughs) we've basically read three quarters of the series so far because we've read one and a half out of two books and i feel like i just have more questions (laughs) than i have answers so far like even now i want to know more about the countess and the count and you know what their backstory is and I do want to go back to the if she's not the first woman who got away I want to hear what happened there I want to hear the Goblin King's real name I want you know I want to, to know. hear about Magda oh yeah yeah I forgot about her for a minute yeah there's a lot there's a lot more like questions in. I know and we only have half a book <laughs> we have a little bit more than half okay that's true it's just barely <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully we get some questions answered yeah did you do any research this week Okay, so I did warn you that I have been working like crazy hours. So I actually hadn't researched until like the last, I don't know, 30 minutes or something a little bit. But this is, I just want to give you a hint into how my brain works. So while I'm reading, I like write down things that I should think about to look up. This is my list. Popper's death versus real funeral cost. (laughs) How to project your voice. The origin of the role of rector in documenting the lives and small villages. And then, how to drug somebody in parentheses quickly and for a short while only. Oh my god! So which one did you go with? So that's the list I started with like 45 minutes ago. Here are some interesting articles I came across. Just just titles again. People who poison other people have these traits in common. Oh. If you kill someone, don't Google how to do it first. That's common sense. Five classic poisons and people who use them. And the psychology of killing and abduction, which I thought was the most interesting one. So when I was looking up, I was trying to like figure out this poison thing because I was trying to get like a, um, not like how do you kill someone with poison, but how do you like kind of what happened in this book, 
like kidnap someone with poison like you know have a fast acting thing where you can like take them away for a little bit and like they're incapacitated mm-hmm. but um i don't know some of the everything was about how to kill people with poison oh no and but this one article i was reading is from 2010 it's this like security and intelligence wordpress.com um or from 2011 but it it was saying how the United States is ranked sixth in the world for kidnapping for ransom crimes. Oh my gosh. So we're behind, at least in 2010, Colombia, Italy, Lebanon, Peru, and the Philippines. And that's it. <laughs> and that's kind of nutty. Apparently, Phoenix, Arizona, which is where I'm from, is the kidnapping capital of America. And what? it was ranked second in the world only to Mexico City in 2010 with 370 cases of kidnapping. Oh my god, that's horrifying. So is it like kidnapping rich people? Because then, I mean, I'm fine then. If it's kidnapping what? Rich people to get money from them? <laughs> Not necessarily. I guess there's a lot of reasons. I mean, kidnapping for ransom you would think would be targeted more towards yeah. rich people, like people you know are rich. But the main type of kidnapping that occurs around the world in general is... Sex trafficking. No, non-custodial parent abductions of children. What? That's the most oh, common oh, oh. Gotcha. reporting of abductions. So, like, if your parents are divorced or not together for whatever reason, and say your mom has sole custody and your dad yes. kidnaps you, gotcha, or vice versa, okay. um, that makes sense. They also said Mexico. Obviously, a lot of it wasn't about financial gains so much as it was sort of these like drug war type mm. stuff. Um, and statistically, Mexico had nearly all victims were killed. Oh my goodness. So what was the one trait that people who poison other people have in common? Oh my goodness, that article was so weird. Let me just find it real quick. Okay, so this is um, from sheknows.com. I don't know. Okay, I also realized I wasn't using Google because I got a new laptop and I guess like Chrome wasn't the default. And I didn't even really realize it. So I was just like typing things into the search bar and I was like not finding anything I wanted. So I'm like very pro Google now. So this this article is talking about, I guess, uh, this author had read two cases like close to each other. One was um, a University of South Carolina student who was taking her roommate's food out of the refrigerator and contaminating it with Windex. What? And the other was a 12-year-old girl who was jailed after she tried to poison her mom's breakfast smoothie. So I guess she just like, this lady writing this article was like, this is kind of weird. Let's look into, you know, why people are trying to contaminate each other's food. And whatnot. Oh, that's so scary. 12 years old, Jesus. So, six ways to tell if your friend is thinking about pouring Windex in your yogurt. <laughs> this isn't scientific by any means. <laughs> she's non-confrontational. Um, so that's, you know, just basically, she's like, female poisoners tend to bottle up what they perceive as an injustice, and um, they'll use that as justification for, you know, why they're turning against oh. you. So like because, Joseph and Liesel. Yeah. So the 12-year-old, her mom took her iPhone away, and the oh daughter felt like that was not okay, so she tried to poison her breakfast smoothie. What the hell? Reason two, she's not just, quote, smart, she's clever. <laughs> and this is okay. actually true. She said, if you think about it, poisoning someone requires a certain kind of premeditation that other more impulsive acts don't. Yeah. You have that, to really you have that to plan that. True. You have to plan it. You have to like go through with it, like not change your mind. You know what I mean? Like there's like yeah. so many things. It's not like I just, oh, I accidentally poured Windex in your smoothie and then didn't tell you about it. Or I just accidentally used too much strength and killed you. Yep. That would be easier. Yeah. Um, they said your parents spoiled you. You're immature. A glaring feeling of inadequacy, vanity. 
Um, so, like, it wasn't a very scientific thing or anything, yeah. but it was just kind of, it was still interesting to read, but yeah. And I also, so, this one, I forget what I was Googling at this point, is something about poisoning, and I was like, don't kill people with poison or something, and I was like, if you kill someone, don't Google it, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is I a warning Googled- for me. <laughs> but it was about this couple um, that were basically convicted of strangling a 19-year-old girl. But they had, like, a ton of just, like, again, if you're going to kill someone, don't do this. So the morning the murder happened, the guy did an internet search for chemicals to pass out a person. Oh, my God. Making people faint. Ways to kill people in their sleep. How to suffocate someone. How to poison someone. And they also have a bunch of texts, I think it was, back and forth, trying to determine what to do with the dead body that they had. I feel like these are all things you've Googled in the course of this podcast. Well, I know. I actually, <laughs> when I saw their internet search, I was like, chemicals to pass out a person. That's the search I should have used, but I was out of time at that point. Um, <laughs> so, listeners, if I... Okay, and you know, my biggest fear is being accused of a crime I didn't commit. So I know, but I'll be your alibi. If I really did poison someone, then I deserve to go to jail. I agree. But if I didn't really poison someone and they just think I did because of my Google search, I need you guys to all remind them that I have this podcast and it's yeah. really the fault of the Goblin King or the Goblin King's followers <laughs> or the Countess and Count whatever their names are, that I did that. That led you to this terrible act. <laughs> exactly. Well, everything's documented, so I think we have a good case. Yeah. So, wait, I, do you want to hear how to reduce your chances of, or what to do if you are being kidnapped, abducted, I mean? Oh, yes, very okay. much. So, first, you should, like, typical things, fight as if your life depends on it, make a lot of commotion as long, long as you can, um, remember things like screaming fire people are more likely to react to, and they actually suggest if you're traveling in a foreign country, that should be one of the words that you know. Because if you scream fire mm-hmm. in English in, like, people a Spanish-speaking area, people are just going to be like, whatever. Um, then they say – so that stuff – I mean, there's a lot more about that in, like, self-defense and whatnot. But Can I guess one? Sure. Okay. I think – I always think about this because when I run, I run a lot. And I'm like, what if someone tries to kidnap me? Uh-huh. What would I do? I always think I would, like – take off parts of my clothes like a sock or like a hairband and like throw it at strategic places to like leave a trail of clothes oh that's smart or like rip out your hair and like leave it along the path so people could so my dog banjo when they come to my house and ask her to find me using my scent she will be able to find me well and you know if you're in the trunk you should be able to kick out the the whatchamacallit light oh yeah the head the headlight I'm guaranteed I could not do that. Yeah, I kind of like, like want to try no way it I could do that. just to like <laughs> have some confidence that I could do that. But uh, So these are more like you're already like, okay, you've been abducted. You're hanging out with your abductors and you're just okay. a hostage. Okay. So they say try not to like calm down, basically. You want to be able to think rationally. You want your adrenaline to like, you know. Go away. If, levels, if, yeah. You know, first you're fighting for your life and all this stuff, but, like, say that all failed and now you're, I don't know, locked in a basement somewhere and whatever. Um, if you believe that you're a victim of a hostage for ransom scheme, you should try to work with the people through negotiations. Okay. They say that you're more likely to die trying to escape and Aww. that you actually have a better chance of being free to rescue if you've remaining in captivity at that point oh that's interesting okay but i think i mean that's 
also assuming that they're actually trying to ransom you and, you know, like all that other stuff. There's other reasons why you might try to escape or if you have the perfect opportunity. I'm not saying just hang out with your kidnappers. I'm just telling you what this article is saying. <laughs> it also says, like, do you speak to your abductors if they let you in a gentle voice to project humility and gain empathy? So you really mm. want to, like, kind of remind them that you're not just a you're target. Human. You're a human. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they said even – um, if you can like sort of acknowledge and accept like the reasons why they might target you. So like talk as though you kind of understand where they're coming from. That might help you. They also said, if you learn your abductor's name or your location or any potential plans, don't use them when you're talking to the abductor because you don't want them to think that, you know, you know too much. So unless oh, they so don't use their names. So like, unless they say, Hey, my name's Paul. Instead you hear like, one of them call the other one Paul. Don't be like, I know your name's Paul, because then they might be like, oh, oh they know too much. Oh, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, Keep it to yourself. I'm see. so into this now. I'm like, I wish you Actually, could see oh, me. <laughs> maintain your hygiene the best you're able to. Find religion and pray regularly. Uh, studies show that people who pray regularly and thoughtfully have higher confidence levels, elevated endorphin and serotonin levels, and are able to deal with traumatic experiences more effectively. Oh. Well, that's kind of like meditation, like calming yourself down. Yeah. But I was just I wish it, scared because Phoenix is on the list of places James and I might want to, or at least Arizona is on the place of, list of places we might want to end up eventually or live in someday. And I was like, uh-oh. It's the, My uncle lives there. It's He's been fine. A lot of kidnapping <laughs> happening. And I lived there for a long time, but I don't know. I wish you could see me right now because I'm like perched on the edge of my chair. Like I'm so engrossed in this. <laughs> I'm like how to escape your kidnapper. Be careful you don't inadvertently flash a lot of cash while digging through your wallet. <laughs> That's some I other don't advice. I have a lot of cash to flash, so. <laughs> I think they're most, or not most, this article is kind of geared towards if you're traveling. So, you know, sometimes oh, when you're traveling, okay. you do get out, like, a bunch of cash or you, oh, you know. True. Like, so even I've heard things, you know, you might have, like, one of those secret things, like, oh, hide your money or put it in multiple places so it's not all in one place. Don't get in cabs with strange men. Yep. We learned that from yep. Taken. <laughs> And Taken 2 and Taken 3. No, I'm just kidding. Aren't, aren't they like... <laughs> there's a lot of, six them now. of them now. Isn't there a show? I think there's actually a show now. Really? There should be. Um, so that is kind of interesting because I researched Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, good. I actually... That was on my list before, but it wasn't on my list this week, so I didn't look it up. And this ties right into it. And we were talking about like how Liesl kind of had Stockholm Syndrome when she was went with the Goblin King and... Because yeah. it reminded us a little bit of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So, okay. Um, this is from the lineup. So, Stockholm Syndrome is just, you know, a, the condition where people who are taken hostage or kidnapped develop um, a bond with their captors. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a survival strategy during captivity, um, kind of like a coping mechanism, they say. So, like, people tend to develop strong emotional ties to the people who kidnapped them in order to cope with the terror of being taken. Okay. And they say, like, it doesn't have to be just a kidnapping scenario or a hostage scenario. It can happen um, with women or or men or children who are in domestic, domestic abuse situations. Mm-hmm. So um, it, I thought that was interesting that it doesn't have to be a captive situation. It can be really any kind of oppressive relationship. So, like, battered person syndrome would be... Um, kind of fall in the same line as Stockholm Syndrome. Interesting. And, and it's kind of like, again, like a drive to try and survive and get through it. But the FBI shows that roughly 8% of victims 
show evidence of Stockholm Syndrome, which was lower than I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm surprised by that too. I'm not really surprised. Like, it seems like a strange phenomenon in the first place, but because I've heard so much about it, I just thought it would be higher. Same here. Uh, So, okay, it was named after an incident that took place in 1973 in Stockholm, Sweden. There were four hostages who were taken during a bank robbery. There were three women and one man. They were held for six days, and the hostages eventually were released, and they defended their captors after they were set free and they would not agree to testify in court against them. And then they started raising money for their defense. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, I, wonder, I guess like, um, well, this is probably unrelated, but you know how like in situations like Nazi Germany or whatever, where like prisoners would still be mean to other prison, like kind of like you'd rather be, I'm trying to, I can't think of a good example and I can't think of the word of this phenomenon, but like, even though you're not, like, the one in charge, you also, like, create your own hierarchy and, like, oh, you know what I yeah. mean? yeah. Kind of like this. Is that kind of like the Stanford prison experiment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. I'm trying to think. Um, okay. So, I mean, Patty Hearst is, like, a really famous one that happened. Um, she was taken and held hostage. And she started to actually work with the organization that kidnapped her and helped them rob banks. So, and, and she pleaded Stockholm Syndrome, or her lawyer did in court, and she, uh, they denied it, and she was given, like, a seven-year prison sentence, but they later reduced it, and she received a pardon, but it's interesting how, like, in that case, she not only um, sympathized with her abductors, she was kind of brainwashed by them and started helping them carry out these uh, crimes. So, do they say, like, what causes it, or anything or just it just happens sometimes like is there anything in particular that increases the trigger it yeah i don't know i I think i honestly don't know Mm -hmm. all i know is that they said it was like a coping mechanism but it's so interesting how like there are so many cases and i was just reading about a few of them so like elizabeth smarts um sean hornback these were children who were taken and this is interesting. So Sean Horbeck was an 11-year-old boy from Missouri who was taken, and he um, was never found until four years later. There was another missing child. Um, his name was ben- was William Benjamin Ombi, and he was found in his- the abductor's apartment along with Sean Hornback, the-, the boy who was uh, taken previously. Mm-hmm. And he said that he had been living with this guy. Um, the kidnapper was Michael uh, John Devlin. And he said that during his captivity, he was allowed to go shopping in public. He had a girlfriend. He had access to the internet. Um, so he had all these opportunities to escape, but he never tried to because, you know, he was, he had this severe Stockholm syndrome and also because the, his kidnapper had been threatening him with violence if he ever tried to escape and like that fear mm-hmm. of you know the fear of retaliation if he tried to escape was so deeply ingrained that psychologically he was unable to even contemplate escape which is just crazy yeah but it happens yeah I'm thinking of two other books based off the things yourself have you ever read Bel Canto like that's the name of it you know what? I started that book like five times because it's about an opera singer and I was like, I should love this book and I cannot get through it. 
It was... And I don't know why. It was slower than I wanted. Like, I had heard such good things, but I did get through it. And it was interesting because it's about, yeah, like an opera performance and then a bunch of terrorists come and, like, keep everyone in the house hostage. It's like a it's mm-hmm. like a birthday party for the vice president or something. And um, But there there is some Stockholm syndrome going on. And then... But a little bit differently, too, because sort of this group of terrorists isn't... Like, they're not all super... like. You know, it's sort of like a military thing. Like, they don't all necessarily believe in what they're doing and also reform. Like, it kind of goes both ways in, like, a weird way. But obviously, they're the hostage keepers and the hostages. And then the other one I was thinking of is, did you ever read the Milk Carton book? Oh, The Face in the Milk Carton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Because that would be weird if you were, like, raised by... Yeah, and you family. never knew you were kidnapped. Yeah, and then, like, if you were had a happy life and, you know, thought they were your mom and dad or your mom or grandparents or whatever, and then, like, find out that they did this horrible thing, it's like, it would be so weird because that, the other group, if you're a real family, you never would have had any memories of or anything either, and I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and you feel, co- like, it's comfortable being with them. It's not, if it's not horrible. Yeah. Well, that was another thing they said. They said that um, a lot of times you experience this reversal where the outside world becomes very terrifying and dangerous and you almost feel this sense of safety and security by being with your captors. So, like, um, did you hear about the case of Colleen Stan? I'm so bad with names. Tell me about it. It's it's horrific. So she was kidnapped in 1977 when she was 20 and she was kept a prisoner for, like, I want to say seven years. And her abductors... They, like, kept her in um, essentially a box. Like, they built, like, a coffin-sized box, and they kept her in it for, like, up to 22 hours a day. Oh, my goodness. And she eventually developed such Stockholm Syndrome that they eventually started taking her out, and they took her home to her family. And she spent the night with her family, and she was like, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, I know I was missing for a while, but I'm staying with these people, and I'm fine. And then they left her there overnight, and then they came back in the morning for her, and she went back with her abductors and spent, like, another three years with them because they were they became the comforting place. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that horrific? So then what happened after the next three years? So, okay, this is crazy. Because, so, like, if you're 27, I mean, like, and you're living with people, like, what can they do? Well, Sorry. so there's also this thing called Lima Syndrome which is kind of the reverse of Stockholm Syndrome. It's when your abductors develop sympathy for their hostages and they kind of have second thoughts. So what happened in the case of Colleen Stan was her abductor, um, eventually, her name was Jan Hooker, she develops this Lima Syndrome, she took pity on her, and she helped her escape. Okay. Okay, that kind of reminds me a little bit more of Belcanto too. Like I was saying, it kind of went both ways a little bit. Like you were sort of like, why did I... Is this cause really worth hurting these people kind of thing or whatever? Yeah. And then, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I was reading all about it and was getting really, really freaked out. But um, it's kind of interesting. We both researched things that (laughs) relate to each other. (laughs) Abduction and kidnapping. Well, we had already done masquerades before. We had already done... What else have we learned? Well, I guess I could have looked into how churches keep track of record keeping. That sounds boring. Yeah. I didn't even know how to Google it. I, like, kept... I don't know. I also wasn't using Google, so <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> using a Word document. No, I'm just kidding. Why is nothing showing up? Dog pile. <laughs> so I also researched some funnier things because I was, like, really depressed after reading that. Yeah. So I also researched um, ways that people used to protect themselves from witches or um, 
like to ward off evil. Okay. Because they have that scene where like Costanza takes all the salt in their house yeah. and like, throwing it around the room. And this is kind of interesting. So people use salt um, a lot of times to like protect themselves from evil spirits. So you see like drawing a circle of salt or like put a layer of salt on your threshold. And they say like evil spirits can't cross over. So I was like, why salt? Why, why, like, where did that come from? So I guess salt, you know, has purifying qualities. You use it to clean wounds and stuff. So there's like this purity to it, they Mm -hmm. think, that it may stem from that. But um, also salt back in the day was really expensive. Yep. And so you know how we, like, if you spill salt, you're supposed to throw some over your left shoulder. Mm Mm-hmm. So I learned that um, they said that spilling salt is really bad luck because it's really expensive. And so they believed that um, someone who would be so foolish as to spill salt was being tempted by the devil or like only the devil could make you act so foolishly. And um, so they also say that like, you know, the idea of your conscience, like the angels on your right shoulder, the devil's on your left shoulder. Mm -hmm. So they say that the devil lurks over your left shoulder and the only way to get rid of him is if you throw salt and you blind him so you throw salt over your left shoulder to kind of like get the devil off your shoulder interesting um, to stop him from like tempting you into evil acts such as spilling salt i've always wondered where that stuff comes from you know it's so funny that we don't remember all the details but we still like remember the superstition behind oh well you're supposed to do this if this happens yeah but they also this was interesting so i guess in the last supper um if you look at the painting judas has knocked over salt with his elbow hmm. and i actually didn't look at it i read that and then i like just didn't back that up so i kind of want to look at the last supper now but so they say that salt is also associated with lies and disloyalty interesting there's a yeah. book sorry i'm like talking about all these other books i don't know what's going on with me but i think it's by mark kurlansky or something like that it's called salt a world history it's been sitting in my bookshelf for forever but it is about how like basically civilizations have been shaped by salt that commodity yeah i believe it so here's other ways to protect yourself from evil charms or evil spells um you can hang brass bells over a child wait (laughs) iron kitchen shears oh yeah Brass bells are probably a little safer, but that's why they say, like, um, sometimes they hang bells around livestock. Like, not only was it to keep track of the animal, but it was also said to keep evil spirits away from your animals. Interesting. Mistletoe, I guess, was used, was hung from doorways often to keep uh, witches at bay. Or or to attract your secret admirer. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) One or the other. (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. connecting things okay go on sorry um oh this is funny cat corpses Ooh. so i guess in the middle ages this is ridiculous people believe that putting a dried cat carcass in your floorboards or in your ceiling rafters would protect the house from witchcraft because no one would want to come over <laughs> i guess yeah because it smelled so terrible so would they kill cats to do that or would they just find dead cats mm-hmm. let's go with they just found dead cats <laughs> Where's that cat been? Um, they also used witch bottles, which were really popular in the 16th and 17th century. So that if you wore a witch bottle or you had a witch bottle, it would protect you from evil spells. And it could also reverse the spell. So, like, you could throw the spell back at its caster. I'm rubber your glue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they were essentially bottles that contained herbs, uh, nails, pins, and the special ingredient was human urine. 
Ooh. Your own? Again. Or did you buy it yeah, from the your store? Own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's your own. That would be so funny if, like, you sold human urine, like, because you convinced people that yours was better than theirs or something. Well, urine used to be taxed in um, ancient Rome, I believe. Taxed? It was taxed, yeah, because they would use... They would get ammonia from it, and that's how they would dye or, like, clean their togas, I believe. Huh. I might be spitting nonsense, but I thought I remember reading somewhere that, like, to get the to- their um, outfits super white, they needed ammonia, and they got it from urine. And so urine was, like, taxed, and people would collect it. Interesting. Weird yeah. stuff that have happened through the ages. This was actually really cool. So in Chinese tradition spirits are only believed to be able to travel in straight lines so you know how like traditional chinese rooftops have those elaborate curves Mm -hmm. so they were built because they thought that they would ward off evil spirits because they wouldn't be able to um like they would be befuddled by the curves in the rooftops and they can only travel in straight lines so why why did they think they could only travel in straight lines and it was only <laughs> evil really spirits or all spirits could travel. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. It's like people develop these ideas about what ghosts can and can't do. <laughs> and I don't understand like where they got this from. So like the other one that I read was in some cultures, ghosts are believed to be unable to cross bodies of water. Huh? So like especially in the American South, there's this color called ghost blue. And it's often used to paint porch floors and ceilings throughout the entire like throughout a lot of houses in, hmm. in um, Southern America. And they think that the belief is like the ghost will see this expanse of blue and they'll think it's an ocean and they won't cross it. Hmm. So if you go down south and see like this ghost blue color, um, that's that's why. Why not just dig a moat around your house? Oh, yeah. Just like install a <laughs> drawbridge. Throw a crocodile in. <laughs> right under your portico. They're safe to have in front of your... Yeah, so I don't know. That was kind of like some more fun research about. And it's fun. I'm always so fascinated by, and some of it too is just like before we had enough science and stuff to back things up, you know, what we decide works or doesn't work or, you know, does something good or does something bad or stops something bad. Like, it's just, it's so funny how we've developed these ideas and that which ones get widespread and which ones don't. I don't know. It's just, I love hearing that stuff. Me too. I think a lot of it's probably trial and error, but... Well, I had this... So I used to write sketch comedy, right? And one of my scenes was about um, this... It was basically kind of making fun of... You know, when they used to do witch trials and they'd have tests like, if you drown, then you weren't a witch. But if you don't mm-hmm. drown, then you are a witch and we have to kill you. And it's like, so, like, you die either way? Like... Yeah. <laughs> and... It was also, like, talking about sports superstitions and, like, people who get really into the game. I forget, like, the whole sketch now, but, like, it sort of, like, took these sports superstitions to, like, an extreme where it was, like, witch trial-esque level, like, (laughs) but but it was, like, a really fun sketch to write because I was just looking up all these funny things that people do and and whatnot, but random sidebar. (laughs) Those are the best kind. (laughs) So we need to get witch bottles for our cast of devil i mean goblin chosen where, where are you going here people liesel and joseph oh i was like where is she going with this i'm not peeing in a bottle and wearing it around my neck i don't know where i'm going with this oh man i, I think what i really need is some sleep maybe will that ward off evil spirits at work or something 
Okay, so what are we going to do? We're, we have a lot of things to do for next week. We are going to finish the book. We have to think of a fan name. I know. I was thinking about how I haven't thought about one. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> I thought of a couple. Oh. So, I know. Just actually, like, just now we were recording. So, we could be elf-touched. Okay. But that kind of, I don't know, that kind of sounds like we were molested by elves, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Can we just be, like, the mad? The <laughs> like, the mad? Yeah. Like, that makes it sound like we're angry, though. I know, but it's, I, I just love the word madness and how, I don't know. Okay, go on. We could be changelings. Changelings really creep me out. <laughs> I know. More than the goblins, I think. <laughs> we can be changelings, or we could do something with music. Oh, I do like the idea of music. Or maybe we'll have some really great idea in the last part of the book. Okay, let's... That's true. Let's, maybe we'll get inspiration from the second half. Let's let these ideas marinate, and we'll talk about it next time. Did we say our favorite scene from the first book? Or, like, I think we both said the ball scene. Yeah, I think we talked about it. Yeah, okay. I'm just trying to check all our boxes off, because it seems like... I love duologies, but it, they always seem like they go too quickly. Yeah, because we're, like, just starting to get, like, into it, and then it's almost over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the first, with the trilogy or something, it's, like, the first book, you're still, like, getting used to the world, and we're getting, you know, like, you're kind of switching everything around, and we're, like, still buying, you know, whatever. And then, like, the second book, I feel like we know what's going on, and then the third book, we get to say goodbye. And this time, it's like, oh, wait, we have to say goodbye, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I just hope it ends well. <laughs> I know. I'm nervous. I feel like... I don't know. I also, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that was not very insightful. This entire podcast has just been us starting trains of thoughts and then just like not going Abandoning those thought. trains. And then looking across the field and being like, ooh, a flower. And like talking about something completely unrelated. That's pretty much our podcast. Cool. Okay. What, what else is there? We have to finish reading. You have to tell me a joke. Okay. I have some jokes for you. Ooh. Are they music jokes? No. I want a I mean, mean guitar joke. No, they're all about how, like, guitar players aren't smart, and I didn't like that. Okay. I was offended. Um, okay, this is kind of has to do with poison a little bit. All right. Two chemists walk into a bar. The first chemist says he'll have some H2O. The second chemist says, I'll have some H2O, too. Then he died. <laughs> I hope everyone got that. I feel like if I told James that, he'd be like, what? I'm just kidding. That's good. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Do you want to just tell me about your life? Yeah. <laughs> How's everything going? We never check in. I know. My life is... We always have like two seconds where we're like, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Let's go. Record. One, two, three. It's always so rushed. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't have much to say. I feel like I've just been working a lot recently. I need to plan my wedding eventually, so we need to read some books with wedding scenes that I can steal ideas from the selection maybe Ooh, actually we should totally do that we should totally read that (laughs) i just need something that's like lighthearted and i mean everything i read is YA fantasy which is mostly lighthearted but i don't know that that series was just like it was like book candy to me yeah it was and then i also read the royal we like right around the same time oh i love that book yeah I like the um, the women who write that wrote that book have a really fun blog. Do they? You should send it to me. Um, it's called Go Fug Yourself. It's really good. I'm reading a book right now about, it's called To Kill a Kingdom. Oh, yeah. And you were texting I, me about it. <laughs> I t- 
texted you because it's it's a, such a fun book. It's like a retelling of The Little Mermaid, and there's a pirate prince. I'm already in love. I need to go pick it up immediately. Oh my god! No, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my god, Kay's gonna love this book because <laughs> there's a pirate prince in it. That's my favorite trope, I think, of YA books. <laughs> like some tropes are just stupid, and you're like over them. But I never get sick of the pirate prince. You can trope. never have too many pirate princes in your books. Is my motto. I've been reading, I think just because I read so much YA stuff and because I'm trying to like save stuff for our podcast, I've been trying to read other stuff outside of the podcast. I've been, I read uh, this nonfiction book about um, like the beginning of the FBI and the murder of the like Osagi Indian tribe in. That sounds interesting. um, It was really good. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Killers of the Flower Moon, I think is what it was called. Oh, I saw that on your Goodreads. Yeah, it was really good. And I hadn't read nonfiction in a long time, but it was kind of also depressing when you yeah, think about it. I need to sure. read like some happy nonfiction or, or something. I also read Little Fires Everywhere, which has been talked about a lot recently, um, and I liked it a lot. It Is fun. that nonfiction? No, it's fiction, but it's oh, adult okay. or not YA fiction, just regular literary fiction. Yeah. I've got a book recommendation, too, from a coworker. It's called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. It's fiction, but it's like... Um, also kind of a coming-of-age story. Cool. But it's about her, a girl who um, moves in with her grandmother, and her grandmother tries to send her to a gay conversion camp. So it's kind of about, like, her experience there. Um, but it seems like a interesting book to read. Yeah. My coworker said she loved it. That sounds good. I just, I think I might have texted you about it. I read Mischling a little bit ago, which is about, oh. it's fiction, but it's about twins at Auschwitz. So they were in... Um, the zoo i forget the doctor's name who did all those experiments but uh oh. i mean it was I, I why do i read such depressing stuff i actually am starting to worry about my book reading and my google searching what's so next I thought, said, I thought you said michelin and i was like oh is it a book about how restaurants got their michelin star that actually sounds really good and then you were like no it's about the holocaust and i was like oh i completely misjudged that wait how did spaghetti salad turn out spaghetti salad was delicious <laughs> I need to come visit you and have you cook some of your favorite uh, Chad invention dishes. If you like how I'm like, I'll come visit oh and you God, can and you can cook for me. I just want banana oh. cookies. If, if you were like, pick something and I'll make oh, yeah. them, I'll be like. I didn't even mention them because I <laughs> Well, next time you come to Chicago, I will definitely make you Yes. Them. Okay, I'm booking Actually, a I flight were... now. <laughs> okay. Um, what else? I also saw my dad wrote a porno last night. Oh, yeah. You were telling me a little bit about that. So I love that podcast. <laughs> I need to check it out. It was so funny. I just had no idea what to expect. And they read, um, like, a missing chapter. Like, they did a chapter that they had never done before. I guess their, the guy's dad thought it was too bad to publish, which is really saying something. <laughs> um, but it was super fun. And we went in costume. And... Allison wore, she got these like really cheap plastic handcuffs because that's like from one of the scenes. So we like each wore a plastic handcuff. <laughs> I dressed up as the Duchess. I had some chic riding gear. And then um, Lauren was, she had like um, a microphone that she went around all around her body because there's this scene where she gives, uh, the main character gives a conference. And the guy putting the mic on her is just, like, winding this microphone all around her body. So she had this, like, <laughs> like lapel mic wrapped all around her. And then she had to walk because 
they give away walks at this conference for some reason. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense. But we had so much fun dressing up and, and going to see them. And they were so good live. So was it, it was like a live a episode that wasn't recorded? Or Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just fun. It's always fun to see like shows that you like live. And I wish I did it more. Yeah, we'll have to start bringing this around the world <laughs> to Haiti. Can you imagine how terrible we would be in public? Because really, I mean, it's me sitting with my dog with a million notebooks around me and a book and well, you sh- just knocking things over. Usually I have to have at least one drink before we record just to like calm myself. But the, the last few weeks I gave up drinking alcohol on school nights for Lent. And it's Lent right now, so I've been like, oh my goodness, I'm so sober while I'm doing it. <laughs> Not that I'm ever, like, drunk it's while so we're doing harder. it, but it, I, like, get so nervous. <laughs> oh, no. So I can only imagine if people were, like, watching. <laughs> you know there's a workaround for this, is we record on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And when I suggest, let's record on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you'll know why. We can totally do that. <laughs> well, that was, that was a fun little interlude. So we're going to read the rest of Shadow Song for next week, everyone. We're going to get all of our questions answered. Oh, you know what else we get to do next week? Talk about all the short stories that I want written because that's my favorite thing to do. Oh, yes. Yes. We'll we'll brainstorm short story ideas that we want that we'll never get. And I'm going to have to reach out to SJ Jones and let her know what I expect (laughs) for Christmas this year. Oh, or we can just write some really bad fan fiction. Um, okay, so in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. And we'd like to hear messages from you. Yeah. Because we read every single message that we get, and we respond to them, and it really makes our day. If you want to tell us a dad joke, give us a series you like, tell us something, I don't know, anything. Anything you want. Be a super fan. That's what I want to do. I want to interview some fans, but no pressure, guys. Yeah, I know. Um, We need to uh, actually pick some for the next series we're doing, so (laughs) let us know if you want us to interview you. Um, We'll be drunk on wine, so it'll be It's really not as scary as we just made it sound, either. It's actually a lot of fun. (laughs) Everyone has said that they enjoy doing it. And and we can edit Um, it to make you sound really, really smart, unlike what we do for ourselves. (laughs) We are getting good at that now. All right. So, on that note, bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.